Good evening. Hi, Hannah. That would be nice. Good evening. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so we are, um, gosh, that spotlight is bright. I feel like I'm burning up up here. But anyway, hopefully you can all see me. So I think that's the point of them. Um, we are in the middle of a series called Masterclass at the moment. Not because I am going to give you a masterclass this evening. Not at all. But because um, if we really... Uh, speculate that Jesus was who he said he was. He did the things that it said that he did, and we take him seriously. Then maybe he's got things to say about our lives that are wisdom for us, our life for us, our masterclass for us. Maybe he's got things to say about our relationships, our issues, our cultural moments. That's the speculation of this series. And so far, we have explored truth, we've explored generosity, and we've explored justice. And this evening, I'd love us to have a conversation about shame. There was no easy segue into that, so I thought I'd just go there. But based on the look on your faces, you're thinking, oh, gosh, really? Oh, Hannah, what? If you are maybe a Man City fan, maybe that's what you felt like last night when you got beaten. Maybe when you come to your fridge and it's out of milk and you come to it and there's no milk there and you've made your cup of tea already and you come to it and you're like, oh, shame. Shame. The truth is that shame is uh, one of our most primitive human emotions. It's a universal emotion. And, and we all connected with that word, didn't we? I know we all did because half of you pulled a face that went like this. We all connect with that word. And shame uh, is not just reserved for those who've experienced trauma, although those people will identify with the word shame in a particular way. But it's actually a very common place. Here's a definition of shame. Shame occurs when we've done, had done to us, or failed to do something that leads us to believe we are unworthy of love and belonging. We will be rejected. Shame plays this tape in your ear. You are not good enough. You are not good enough. There's a... a, a very bright woman. Uh, she is a shame researcher. I know, I didn't know those things existed. Uh, she is called Brene Brown. Some of you might be familiar with her. She did that TED Talk that like went over like millions of views on the power of vulnerability. Who's heard of Brene Brown? Yeah, like quite a few of you. But the reason that she could talk so well on vulnerability was because she spent 12 years researching shame. That is called a fun time if you ask me. And she said this about shame. She said that the only people who don't experience shame lack a capacity for empathy and human connection. So this evening, you either fess up to experiencing shame or you admit that you are in fact a sociopath. Okay? So hands up, who experiences shame? Okay? If you didn't put your hand up, this Prime Ministry afterwards, I'm prepared to talk to you all evening. Uh, yeah. But the shame take plays out in our heads. You are not good enough over our physical appearance. 
our money, our parenting, our family status, our relationship status, our education status, our mental health, our addictions, our attitude to and experience of sex, our aging, our faith, and so much more. To give you a little example of shame, just a theoretical example, you understand. Okay, so say theoretically you have two small children and you've maybe just entered your 30s, only just, though. Say, just theoretically speaking. And say, theoretically speaking, that you are that person and you have, in fact, been trying to lose some of the baby weight and you've been going out running and swimming and other things and you've managed, just theoretically speaking, to lose six pounds. Yes, I know, wouldn't that person be amazing? Yeah, theoretically speaking. And say, theoretically speaking, six people in the last three weeks have asked you if you were in fact pregnant again. Yeah, some, someone's face over there went, oh, gosh. Then maybe a little shame might play out in your head. You are not good enough. Your body is not good enough. And we laugh, and if you were one of those people who said that to me, then you can buy me some chocolate, and I have, in fact, forgiven you already, so it is okay. Um, we laugh, but shame, shame goes a lot deeper than that too, doesn't it? Shame is what my neighbour felt when her husband left her after 33 years of marriage. Shame is what we experienced when we didn't get that promotion that everyone said that we would. Shame is what happens when that relationship doesn't work out for us how we thought it would. Shame is the mental health condition that we carry, the creative endeavour that didn't quite pan out. Shame is that we didn't get into the uni that everyone said that we would. That's shame. Shame, to talk to current affairs just for a minute, shame is why so many women find it incredibly difficult to come forward when they have experienced sexual abuse. That's why. It's shame. And shame is different to guilt. Brené Brown talks about this. Guilt, guilt is different. Guilt says, I did something bad. I did it. I own it. I'm really sorry. I can apologize for that. That's mine. Guilt is, I did something bad. Shame, shame looks at the evidence and the circumstances and concludes, I am something bad. Guilt is, I did something bad. But shame is, I am I am something bad. I am this. I am that. And that's why it's so destructive. There is nothing positive about shame. Shame plays itself off into a cycle of shaming behavior. And that's why it's so closely correlated with addiction, with depression, and with suicide. So, cheery stuff for a Sunday evening. <laughs> What, what then do we do with our shame? And more importantly, if we speculate that Jesus is who he said he was, what does Jesus have to say about shame? What does he have to say about shame? Well, I, I want to take us this evening to a story of a very broken man and his encounter with Jesus in the middle of his shame. He is called Peter, and he is having what we would term an absolute shocker. Peter is one of those guys who has foot 
in mouth syndrome. He's so lovable. He's like the, that character in the film that you're just utterly rooting for, but he's just always messing it up. And, and Peter makes this big, big promise to Jesus that no matter what, he's going to stick with Jesus. Jesus can count on him. And we read this in John's account of the story of Jesus. So John wrote it all down. And that's how we can know it today. John says, this is what happens. John 13, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. Wow. Big statement, Pete. Big statement. And unfortunately for Peter, it doesn't quite pan out. So Jesus gets arrested. He gets taken away by a group of soldiers. And Pete's kind of following at a distance, kind of a bit scared, probably hood up. And he comes to the courtyard where the servants are, where Jesus has been taken in for questioning. And he's hiding. He doesn't want to be seen. He's afraid. He's trying to keep warm around the fire with the other servants of the house. And this happens. John 18, skipping on in the story. Someone asks him, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? He replied, I am not. (sighs) Then again, they ask him and, and more of them this time. Verse 25, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. And then for a third time. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Didn't I see you with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. And can I tell you what happened in that moment? Shame. Shame came in. Peter had messed it up. And shame came in. You could say, and rightly so this time, this is Peter's greatest failure. The courtyard of denial leads him to the swampland of shame. The acrid smell, picture it with me, the acrid smell of the fire, smoke in Pete's nostrils, follows him out into the dark street. And Jesus is strung up on a wooden cross for a crime that he didn't commit. And Peter is heartbroken. He never gets to make repairs with Jesus. He never gets to patch it up. And Jesus dies. And suddenly the bottom falls out of Pete's world. And shame comes in. Shame takes. Peter, you are not enough. Who do you think you are? Peter the rock? I don't think so. And where I would love us to go this evening is to this, one of my most favorite passages of scripture actually, John 21. Comes this beautiful account of Jesus meeting Peter's shame right where he is. So let me set the scene for you. John 21, if you've got a Bible and you want to open it, that's right to the end of the Bible and then turn left a few pages and it's John's story of the life of Jesus. And at this point, Peter has gone out fishing. And isn't that just the way when we experience shame? We probably don't go out fishing or at least I don't imagine many of you will. Um, But you, you probably have a replacement activity for going out to fish. Maybe it's a job. 
Maybe it's food, eating. Maybe it's the pace of life that you live at so you never have to listen to the voices in your head, the shame tape that tells you you are not enough. Maybe it's the inoculation of TV or the consumption of social media. But we all, we all have something. I have something. We all have something. A distraction from our shame. I'm going out to fish, says Peter. And because he's a leader, other people follow him. I, uh, I went um, crab lining with my little boy for the first time the other week. We went to visit my husband's grandparents who live in Oban. I had never done crab lining before, but I don't know how many of you are familiar with it. You basically hook pieces of bacon on the end of uh, basically string. And uh, then you lower it into the pier. <laughs> and then you catch a crab. And it's very exciting, especially if you're four years old. But honestly, can I tell you how impatient I got after 12 minutes of string, bacon, dangling, and no crabs. I mean, no patience, literally nothing. And Peter has been out all night. This is not his first time fishing. He was a fisherman by trade. He was a fisherman before he kind of got on board with the whole Jesus thing that hasn't really seemed to quite work out and he doesn't really know what's going on. So he's gone back to fishing. And they've been out there all night in the dark, in the cold, putting out their nets. And night passes and they've caught nothing. They are cold, tired, hangry men. Hangry, in case any of you are unfamiliar with that term, is hungry and angry, just in one word. Hangry. And then this happens. Verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. Let's just pause there a minute. I want to draw your attention to the very beginning of verse 4. Early in the morning. The actual literal translation of that word reads, as dawn breaks. And if you read about John, John was kind of all into words. He's all into pictures. He was like a Van Gogh ahead of time. And so something like dawn is not lost on John. What is he saying? The sun is coming. The sun is coming. The sun is coming. It is a day of endless possibility, new potential. The sun is coming. And Peter has this unfinished business with Jesus. And so he leaps into the sea. And I want to encourage us this evening as we begin this jump into John 21. Dawn breaks again today for those of us who say, Jesus, dawn breaks, the sun is coming, 
If you have unfinished business with Jesus, is that if as I have spoken, there is shame in you that is simmering to the surface, is clamoring for attention, can I encourage you, leap into the sea with me. Come with Peter to a beach where Jesus is cooking breakfast and see what he has to say to you. Dawn breaks. Verse 9, let's continue reading. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, which is a ridiculous number of catch. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, honestly, I think the main reason that Jesus has breakfast ready for Peter is because there is no point talking to a hangry man about his life purpose. You just will get nowhere. Any ladies with me on that one? A few of you, you've been there, you've done that, you're not going to try it again. You've got to feed them. Secondly, I think there's something pretty epic going on with this fire thing. Think about it for a minute. Cast your mind back. When was the last time the acrid smell of fire smoke drifted into Peter's nostrils on the cold, dark air? You're right. The courtyard of denial. When Peter let Jesus down, that was the last time. When God revisits our places of pain, I want to suggest to us that it is not to shame us further, but it is to heal us. When God revisits your places of pain, it is not to shame you further, it is to heal you. And so when Jesus lights a fire on the beach for Peter... It's not to remind him of his failure, it's to heal him from it. He confronts his shame to help him, not to hinder him. And here's what's really interesting for me in this passage. Peter and his mates, 153 fish, like that is a huge number. Peter has caught enough fish to feed an entire village twice over with sushi for breakfast. I mean, a large quantity But Jesus already has breakfast cooking on the fire. He already has it covered. Sure, he he welcomes Peter's catch, doesn't he? It says, come, bring it over, Pete. But Jesus sets the scene. Here is a fire. We're going to deal with your shame. And I have already provided. This isn't on you, Pete. This is on me. This is on me. Dawn is breaking. Peter eats, and then Jesus talks. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus goes straight, straight to the root of Peter's shame. Peter, you said six chapters previous that you would love me more than the rest of these disciples. You said you would love me so much that you would lay down your life for me. Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you? And shame rises to the surface for Peter. And he replies, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Exposed. That's what Peter is, exposed. Shame surfaced, ready for healing. And how does healing come? That's what I found fascinating in here. How does healing come? When, when Peter professes his love for Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, do you know what? It's actually all right. Don't worry about it. It's fine. It's totally fine. Totally fine. It's okay. We're moving on. It's, it's all right. It's fine. Jesus doesn't carpet sweep our failings and our shame. He heals us up and then he sends us out. And our sending is also our healing. Feed my sheep. If you're confused right now, Jesus doesn't have like a literal flock of sheep that he's left on some, you know, Galilean hillside for a few weeks whilst he's done the whole cross resurrection thing over here. Pete, could you go and sort my sheep out, please? Because, you know, they've been unattended. He's talking about the people of God. He's talking about the children of God. He's talking about the universe. He's talking about, he's talking about God's people whom God loved so much that Jesus had been to the cross and God had raised him from the grave over Pete, go feed my sheep. I trust you. I trust you. He's talking about the people of God who need a friend of Jesus with big dreams and big words and a big heart. Someone a bit like Peter to love them and to lead them. And so as Peter reprofesses his love for Jesus three times, for the three times that he'd let him down, Peter... Simon Peter, the son of John, becomes Peter the rock all over again. Recalled, recommissioned, resent. And Jesus comes and addresses his limitations so that he might trust God more with them, not despite them. Pete, feed my sheep. I trust you. It's, it's not what you expect, is it, in a place of healing? It's not what I expected. I read it and I think, really, Jesus should have said something different. Peter, here's some healing. But Jesus says, feed my sheep. Go. God heals you to send you to heal. That's God's kind of healing. It's the best kind because you get to give it away. 
And so Pete's night of agony is remembered and brought to the surface, exposed and met with the kindness of Christ. Because Christ's own night of agony left him exposed and it was met with the love of God. And so if there's anything that Jesus has to say to us about shame, about our summary narrative that we are unworthy of love and connection, it is that we are worthy. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He will always love you. He loves you as you are, and he leaves you too much to leave you. Loves you too much to leave you where he finds you. Exposed. Ready for healing. Ready to be sent. So what does this mean? What does any of this mean for the theoretical mother with two small children who's maybe experiencing some body shaming issues? What does this mean for you? What does it mean for you in your shame, whether that's big or small, conscious or unconscious? What does it mean if that tape in your ear is playing quite loud right now? You are not enough. I have four suggestions as we bring this into land. What does Peter's story say to shame? Number one, I want to suggest to you that this story tells us Jesus knows all about your shame. It is not a secret to him. It does not surprise him. It might be a secret to everybody else and maybe even yourself because you've hidden it under the carpet for so long. But he, he's not embarrassed by it. The things that you have done or have been done to you that have caused you to believe that you are unworthy of love or belonging, that you will be rejected. He knows and he doesn't buy it. Jesus doesn't buy it. His intention always is to heal. And so I want to encourage you that when Jesus comes to you and he lights you a fire, and he invites you to breakfast. Don't turn that kind of brunch date down. He loves you. His intention is to heal you. Number two, shame happens to you even if you're a good friend of Jesus. Because Peter was. This is a little bit of a personal bugbear for me. But I have this thing about Christians of which I am one, so I hold my hands up. Why do we think that if we're a Christian, we're suddenly exempt from human emotion? How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine, really, yeah, I'm fine, fine. I'm on cloud nine, I'm a Christian, and I'm fine, fine, just fine. Thank you very much. And we have shoved our stuff under the carpet, and we pretend like everything is fine, when often it's not? And why do we bother when Jesus already knows? There is nothing on record against us. If we have come to Christ, our, our sin, the stuff that we have done wrong against God and against people, is forgiven, it's dealt with, it's done. It's over, love has won. There is nothing on record against us. But there may still be things in our memories that haunt us, the wounds that still weep 
occasionally. Things that God would come and would invite us to breakfast over so that he might heal us, to send us. Are you with me? Where is dawn breaking for you again tonight? And what if you leapt into the sea? What if you put out your nets on the other side of the boat? What if you ate the breakfast? It's just a thought. Number three, vulnerability changes everything, which is so frustrating, isn't it? Like, ah, vulnerability. It's so hard. (laughs) Maybe that's just me. Vulnerability changes everything. Jesus could have glossed over Peter's failures. It's all right, mate. Don't worry about it. Let's move on. But he didn't. He had the raw, maybe slightly awkward conversation, and they dealt with it. And maybe um, Brené Brown got her stuff from Peter. I don't know, but it certainly feels like they've got a lot in common around this stuff. She writes some really excellent stuff about shame. And she basically concludes that vulnerability is the antidote to shame. If you want to learn how to get to grips with shame, then you have to work out what vulnerability looks like. And uh, yeah, so be vulnerable with people. And Absolutely. If, if you really struggle with this, then we have some brilliant um, resources and help here available in the church. We have a really great life care team who are like our pastoral care team. would love to meet with you, listen to you, pray with you. We have a really brilliant counseling ministry. If you've got stuck over shame, especially, especially, and a few people came forward this morning and talked to me about this, especially if you've had stuff done to you, that has made you conclude, I am unworthy, then that kind of help could be really, really good. So get it. But I think God does a little one-up on Brené Brown, and I think she kind of knows it as well. If you're going to be vulnerable, then be vulnerable with a dad who's said that he loves you and he's never going to leave you. Full stop. Be vulnerable with a God who said, you are worthy. You are so worthy of my love and affection that I would send my only son to die so that your shame gets dealt with and you can live in freedom so that you can play in the restoration of all things. If you're going to be vulnerable, be vulnerable with your heavenly father. And then lastly, with God, shame becomes a place of sending. When you bring shame into the light, it melts. When you bring shame into the light of God, miracles happen. Miracles happen. People like Peter become Peter the Rock on whose wisdom and leadership was founded the very first church. Unlikely. Turns out it was a breakfast of champions. You can read the sequel to Pete's story in the book of Acts, which is further on in the Bible. Peter still puts his foot in it, of course. I bet he still got some things wrong and he... 
peeved a few people off, probably, at various points. He was a good guy. But he followed Jesus. And he was a shepherd for God's people. And God loves to restore what we thought we'd lost. Our shame becomes, surprisingly, the greatest place of sending. And so I'd love us to spend a bit of time just sitting together in God's presence and listening to what he might say to us this evening. Maybe it was something in what I've already said. But we're just going to take a little bit of time just in the silence to be together in the presence of God because he's here. Dawn is breaking. There's a fire lit. He's got fish frying. And there's things that he might want to say to you. So in the quiet, if you want to close your eyes so you're not distracted, that's cool. If you want to stare me out, it doesn't bother me too much. Feel free. <laughs> and uh, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, there was an awful lot in the words of this preacher that felt a bit heavy. And so I want to pray right now, God, um, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would just breathe across this room the things that were not of you and were not your intention for tonight. Let them just fall down to the ground and go. But the things that you are speaking, that are truth to us, that are healing for us, that are recommissioning for us. I ask um, that they would permeate and that they would thunder through our hearts tonight. Holy Spirit, would you come? Um, in the choir, I had a picture of the fire burning on the beach and there was someone who knew that they wanted to go for breakfast, but they were actually afraid of who they would find there, as if you couldn't quite see Jesus because his hood was pulled down. And then I, I saw the scene change and I think what God would want you to know, if that's you, if you identify with that, Jesus is the guy who pulls his head down and is delighted to see you. He comes out down to the shoreline to greet you. And he walks you back up to the fire. He's totally for you. So don't be afraid to walk up to the fire. What I um, sensed as I was preparing this message was that for some of us today, God wanted to begin a process 
of breaking shame that has swamped us for years. And some of it's been conscious and some of it's been unconscious. And it's almost like this evening he's given you eyes to see the shame for what it is, where you have actually listened to those tapes in your ear. You are not good enough. You are this, you are that. You will always be this. And uh, so we, so we that, that, that was just my sense. And we discern together as God's people. Um, but just a sense that God wanted to begin a process of breaking down shame. So if that's you, you I'd love to pray for you. And uh, it might help just to put your hands out as a kind of, it helps sometimes to do something physical with our body so that we're mirroring what we want God to do in our hearts. Um, if you don't want to, that's cool. So God, I pray um, for my friends and for my family. And I pray, Lord, for anyone who resonated with that word, that they know that you are inviting them to a vulnerable conversation that feels really quite hard and painful. But it's because you want to heal them. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would breathe into these precious children right now hope for moving forward in a new way. You would breathe into them your healing, your invitation, your commissioning. And as you breathe in, that the things you don't want to be there anymore would just go, would be broken in the name of Jesus. And then uh, the second thing I would love to us to pray together is around uh, where our shame can be our place of sending. And for some of you, that was even a new concept this evening, I felt. Uh, you hadn't really heard that before. You thought maybe the bad stuff was just parked, buried, dealt with, over. But actually, God would maybe be speaking to you about that, that he would send you from that place of shame and he would commission you all over again. And so the broken things of your life become some of the best things in his grace. Not that he intended them at all, don't get me wrong, but that he can still work incredible things through them. So if that's you, I'd love to pray for you too. You might want to put your hands out like the other group. God, I pray um, for my friends, for my family, that you would recommission this evening, that you would recall and that we would hear clearly the places that you would send us, the people that you would send us to, that out of our brokenness, we trust that you would do something beautiful, something that shouted Jesus from the rooftops, something that brought beauty to this earth. Something that loved people really well. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.